read the words of Torah with Marcus and Rachel, Rabbis Reuben Steve. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Their Rabbis and They're Married. TRTM. TRTM. I'm not going to make a weird joke about how the apostrophe should be somewhere. So You love talking about the grammar. Not doing the it. most engaging way to start a podcast. The most engaging way to talk about grammar. It is nice to be back here with you again. Yeah, and It's been a minute. Hello, everyone. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. Sorry. We're back on it, though. Don't worry. We didn't go anywhere. We're still here. Thank you to everyone who has called me by my childhood nickname. When you see me in person, it's nice to know you're listening. It brings a smile to my face every time. Yeah. It's amazing how many smushies you've gotten lately. So thank you. It can be our code word for letting us know you listen to the podcast. I know. I know. It's uh, very interesting. So what's going on with you? Uh, you know, not too much. It's... Middle of summer, it feels like the summer is going so fast, which I feel like is what everyone says. It's like a cliche now, but it is. It's going so fast. I feel like the Minnesotan thing is like, have you have you enjoyed hanging out on the lake in the weekends? We have discovered a nice lake. We that is true. I was going to say we don't we, we we have not done that so much, but the curse of the clergy member. But uh, it's true. Thankfully, your parents are here, and they are very good explorers. They're and good they, explorers. Yeah. They always find out the good spots. And they found Lebanon Regional Park, which has a beautiful little lakefront, perfect I, size for Hattie. Exactly. We go out there. It's wonderful. We swim around. Hattie just chills for a couple hours out there. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that girl loves the water. Yeah. I realize like this summer I'm a pool person. Like I'm a pool person. Mm. And I, I've been to the Highland Park pool a couple times. It's really nice. I'm an indoor cat. I like to be in the air conditioning. <laughs> indoor and- <laughs> cat. I'm definitely calling it indoor cat. That is hilarious. Oh, man. Um, yeah. So we have that difference. It's wonderful. I didn't realize I was a pool person, though. Mm. I think you helped me realize that. Yeah, I'm very much a neither. Yeah, I've been like missing it. Maybe it's because it's like ridiculously hot here this summer. Remember we, this when we're talking about how cold it is in a couple months. Exactly. So. We went to California a few weeks ago, and we went to the Bay Area, and I it solidified for me that I'm much more a Pacific Ocean person than like an Atlantic Ocean. I like the rocky beaches. I'm not like a bring your chair and lie out on the beach for hours type of person, which I feel like is like the Atlantic Ocean. I feel like the Pacific is like, go on a hike and see the beautiful giant rocks and the waterfront. That's much more my scene. I feel like you're like, don't even know the Atlantic beach scene. Okay. Cause you grew up in the Midwest in Chicago. Okay. I'm going to Florida. How many times have you even been in Lake Michigan? Raise your hand. I'm raising my hand right okay, now, just in case you want to know. Zero times in Lake Michigan. It's very cold. <laughs> It really was like perfectly fine when I went there. We had a very, my dad and I had a very nice trip. We went to the science center. We went swimming in Lake Michigan. But that always nice. happens when you grow up in a place. It's hard to be a tourist in that place. You think you would at least bathe. In, I've also I never. I that was a touristy thing to do. I've never been up Michigan. to the top of the Sears Tower. I don't know. You don't really do that. That feels like things. a touristy thing. Yeah. That feels like a touristy thing. But anyway, yes, we, we took uh, Rabbi Rachel once to an Atlantic beach in Long Island, and there's a long, long, long walk out to, like, a long walk through the sand. Oh, my God. That Jones Beach that we took Jones you to? Beach. Yeah, Jones it takes, beach. like, 20 minutes just to get to the beachfront, and you're, like, schlepping all of your stuff from the parking lot, and it's New York, so no one's nice, and <laughs> not my thing. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it wasn't a pleasant, the most pleasant experience in the world. But anyway, I don't know even how we got on the subject. Anyway, water is nice in the summertime. You what, know what you have to wear what? on the beach is... A hat to protect yourself from the sun. Nice. That was good. That was really nice. Yes. And it just so happens our topic for today is head coverings. What do we call this? Head coverings. We head coverings. Kipot. Headbands and kippas and hats. Oh my, or something. Yeah, I think there was like some kind of. Uh, it was a Wizard of Oz. Wizard reference. of Oz reference. So ha! This is all about head coverings today. And Rabbi Rachel, why are we talking about head coverings? Well, it's something that I care quite deeply about. I think a lot of people, when you think of a Jewish head covering, you think of a kippah or a yarmulke, if you're you're so inclined. (laughs) If you're so inclined, which is customary head covering for for Jewish men today, but it's 
Um, I think a lot of people are confused and think that a kippah is the Jewish head covering. Like if you're not covering your head with a kippah, then you're not really doing what you're supposed to be doing. But for those of you in our community or those who know me well, you'll know that I don't generally cover my head with a kippah unless I'm wearing tefillin. Usually I cover my head with a headband. And so we wanted to delve into a little bit about the the whys behind that. Yeah. And I just feel like there's like a lot of confusion when it comes to kippot. There's just a lot of like people think it's like this necessary thing that Jews need to always wear all the time. And well, I actually think people don't think that. I think a lot of people think like I wear a kippah when I go on the bima. Like for a lot of people, that's the connection they make, right. um, which is in, when, once we get into the halacha, it's, it's an interesting connection that people make. Like you'll see people like walk up to the bima, put a kippah on and oh, then so like spits, immediately. Like the synagogue in general, you're saying like the bima is a particular. No. Yeah. When they go on the bima, they put a head covering on and then they take it off as soon as they get off the bima. I'm learning is Rabbi Rachel's much more observant than I am. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is... Well, I see it a lot with women because a lot of times men always have their head covered, but women, when they go up to the bima, will put a kippah on. And we do this with our, with our students students too, right? Like we make sure they have their head covered when they go up on the bima for the first Torah blessing, but then we let them take it off immediately after. And it's an interesting, an interesting question. Yeah. And I think like, I think kippot for me and like head covering in general, it's like one of the few identifiable signs of like, this person is a person who cares about Judaism. And you do see sometimes Jews wearing kippot on the streets. Um, and, 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 and like, and there are very few like public Things that aren't like, okay, obviously ultra orthodox, like that's a different story. They're the whole garb, everything like that. But like for like Jews, like this is one of the few identifiable signs in a lot of, a lot of Jews that we, that we publicly wear. So there must be something interesting about it. That's for sure. Um, So um, what are your, like, I always like to talk about, like, what is our personal history with head coverings? Yeah, I mean, I, head covering was something I actually came to pretty late in my Jewish observance. Um, it's not something I grew up with. I didn't grow up seeing um, girls or women covering their head. Um, I grew up at a conservative um, synagogue and a conservative day school and Jewish camps, all of which had the rule that boys had to have their head covers and covered and girls like could if they wanted to, which of course means they don't. And uh, so that's that's how I grew up. And I, I, yeah, I didn't, it wasn't even really kind of part of my consciousness even like through rabbinical school, I often didn't have my head covered. I would like put my put a kippa on or something on for prayer, but it's not something I wore continuously. And I was always, at least starting in rabbinical school, I wasn't comfortable with that. Like I wanted to wear a head covering, but I think walking around in the world with a kippa on is kind of, as you said, it's like a statement for anyone. It's a statement for Jewish men too, that I'm a Jew. Um, but I think it's a different kind of statement for women. I mean, in Israel, certainly women who wear kippot often get like harassed on the street or get called out because it's seen as kind of like that women are appropriating this male symbol or that like this radical feminist symbol. And so it's not something I wanted to like engage. I just didn't want to engage with it in my daily life. It's not something I was comfortable with or wanted to it just wasn't, it wasn't something I wanted to, wanted to be a part of my, my daily life. But at a certain point, I just grew really uncomfortable with walking around without my head covered. Like I knew enough of the Jewish law. I knew enough of the halacha to know that I wanted to have my head covered for most of the day. And so that's where I kind of came to, to headbands that it became a trend and amongst a certain like subsect of female rabbinical students. And it, it, I wanted something where I didn't have to like put it on for Jewish circumstances and then take it off for the rest of my life. I wanted something I could wear all the time and a headband ended up being the thing that, that I felt like I could wear all the time in every circumstance and always have my head covered. Can I ask, like, it's a great that you found this, the solution sort of to your problem that you, you kind of laid out for us very nicely. Do you feel like you sort of like, you would like that to be more recognizably Jewish? Cause I think when people look at someone with a headband on, they don't necessarily, that's a Jew. Right. Well, it's funny when I first started wearing a headband, headbands weren't like in style. And I actually had to like go to Israel to like buy my headbands because <laughs> you couldn't find them in stores here. They weren't in style. And I think it was a little bit more, even if in like in for, for Jews in the know, it did, it came across as, especially depending on what the rest of my outfit looked like, did look like a Jewish symbol. Maybe it looked like I was like, maybe like very modern Orthodox and like covering my hair like slightly or something. But 
I think for everyone, it, it was noticeable. Like, I don't know, religious women in a lot of religions cover their hair um, with scarves or headbands. So I think depending on the type of headband I was wearing, but now headbands are kind of in style. Like you can buy them at regular <laughs> stores. So I think less so now, but for me, it's not really, for me, it wasn't about identifying myself as a Jew to the outside. It really was about like my connection with God and, and my relationship with Halakha. So for me, I didn't, I didn't need it to be a symbol. I don't think for the, for the outside world to recognize me as Jewish. Beautiful. Beautiful. I mean, my name is Rachel Rubenstein, so. <laughs> right. You don't wear that on as a badge though. <laughs> like, <you know. laughs> oh man. I, I, I made your name so much more Jewish. <laughs> um, anyway. Well, what about you? What is your relationship with head covering? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. Like I'm thinking back in my life now. Um, so I wanted to wear. I I knew you know those who've been listening to the podcast. Yeah, Rabbi Rachel just opened up a was that a Canada Dry very a soda, nice. not a, a beer soda. to be clear. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> when I came to interview, this is total aside. When I interviewed for um for this job at Temple Varen, when we were on Zoom, I was drinking a vitamin water, like a red colored vitamin water out of a glass. And the entire interview committee thought I was drinking a glass of wine. And they even like mentioned at the end, like, oh, we knew you were right, the right candidate because you were so relaxed with your glass of wine. And I was mortified. I am such a like, so not you. a goody goody student and like would never drink a glass of wine during an interview. So to be clear, I'm not drinking a beer. I am drinking a soda. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Enjoy. Um, so very, very important, um, for me wearing a kippah from a young age. So I wanted to be a rabbi from a young age and I was very connected with my Judaism from a young age. Um, and for me, like I always loved wearing a kippah. I always wanted to wear it outside of the synagogue and I always wanted to identify with being Jewish publicly. And I felt like that was already such a large part of my identity from a young age that I wanted to do that, but my family didn't. Um, and, uh, I, I remember sneaking out with a kippah from my house because my parents didn't want me wearing a yarmulke on my head. Why? Uh, a Jew growing up in Long Island where there was tons of Jews, of course they felt that I would be subject to anti-Semitism and I would get beaten up for wearing a head covering. And to, at the time I was like, that's absolutely ridiculous. My, my public school was 30% Jewish, which was a lot. I was living in Long Island, a very Jewish area, but I, I think that they had good reason to think that way for, for them growing up. Uh, my father in Brooklyn, uh, wearing public signs of Jewishness would mean that you would get beaten up. That was a reality for him, um, and he routinely did get beaten up for being Jewish growing up in Brooklyn. So, you know, I respect him saying that, and I respected that, even though I thought it was ridiculous, you know, in, in my life where I really didn't feel like I was going to face anti-Semitism for wearing a kippah. Uh, I had seen other people doing the same thing, and they seemed to be okay. So I wanted to, so I remember I used to sneak out of the house with it in my pocket, but of course I was pretty... Uh, a rule follower, maybe not as much as you to your level, but I was like a pretty good rule follower. And I, and I felt like I wanted to respect my parents. So I didn't wear it when I was in uh, middle school, high school, although I certainly wanted to. Um, but once I started rabbinic school, it really, like I started wearing a kippah. I was like, okay, I'm in rabbinic school. I'm going to wear it. I didn't wear it in college even. I remember I didn't wear it throughout college. And then when I got to rabbinic school, I was like, this is, this is what I'm doing. And obviously as a male, I don't have to deal with the same baggage of like wearing this symbol that's considered a male symbol because I am a male, right? So it's sort of expected of me. Uh, I think the one thing that was a little strange in the beginning is when I was a reformed rabbinic student, I would like, I didn't keep um, Jewish law as is customary for, for many uh, reformed rabbinic students. Um, and so it was like, I would constantly be wearing it and then be doing things on Shabbat or be eating something that wasn't kosher. And I would get like weird looks from people. And I never really understood why, because like, I didn't really know enough at the time to even know what was going on. So now I look back and kind of smile at that period of my life. And, and now I, I definitely cover my head all the time. You know, it, it's an interesting thing when I choose to wear a baseball hat versus a kippah, right? And whether I want that like sort of public Jewish symbol. But yes, I do. I do make sure to cover my head all the time. Well, it's interesting what you say about being a reform rabbinical student, um, because I know even today or up until really recently that, you know, you are conscious 
um, you know, to the, to the opposite extreme, you're like very conscious of your behavior when you're wearing a keep. I remember one time we were at a hotel, um, in an elevator with these, um, with other people who didn't appear to be Jewish. And there was like a penny or like a coin on the floor and you like looked at it and you very purposely didn't reach down to pick <laughs> it up. And I like yeah. asked you about it afterwards and you were like, well, I'm wearing a keep. I didn't want to like feed into the stereotype of like the Jew going to pick up the penny. Um, right. and you know, so I feel like it does, you know, you, you are conscious of like, I am very visibly a Jew in this moment. Like how is my behavior going to be um, interpreted? Yeah. I think that took a while though. Like that took a while to grow that and grow into that. Cause that, that just takes a lot of forethought. And I think I started rabbinic school when I was in my early twenties. <laughs> so let's, I wasn't the most introspective person at that point in my life. Let's just say uh, I needed to do some growing and I think I've grown since that time. So that's definitely, definitely something we'll get into is like, you know, what does it mean to wear a keep and, and how our behavior changes because we're wearing visible signs of being Jewish. Before I get into that though, I really do want to get into sort of where does this come from? Where does this custom come from? Is it, is it sort of a requirement? If so, how and what way? And so I want to get into that a little bit. So I, I guess the first mention of kippah of head covering is actually is not in the Torah. There is there is no mention of head covering in the Torah and not even in the whole Tanakh and the Jewish word for the Bible. Oh my God, it's unbelievable, <laughs> right? Um, but the first actually uh, mention of uh, wearing a kippah is in the Talmud and specifically it was a custom of Rav Huna bar Reb Yeshua. And he was uh, specifically praised in Tractate Shabbat for not having walked for a moat, which is a Jewish measurement of about a foot and a half. So it's six feet. Uh, he would not walk six feet without a head covering. I mean, and Jewish law in general, the sort of six feet around you is considered to be like your private space. Like that's my space. And once I walk outside of my six feet, I'm now like walking into public space. So basically what it's really saying is like he didn't really walk out of his private space unless he was covering his head. Later we find in Kedushin that this was because he felt the Shekhinah, the indwelling presence of God is all around us at all times. And so for that reason, he in particular um, wore it to symbolize that God was sort of around at all times. Which I feel like is what we, we generally teach people, right? Yeah. Like why you cover your head, like to remind yourself that God is above you. Right. Very important though, that it was like one rabbi's pious custom. And it was, it's specifically addressed as a pious custom. It is not addressed as everyone is obligated to do this, but it is a pious custom of one particular rabbi. One particular rabbi did it and it worked for him, right? It was not a custom of everybody else as well. Um, we also have, um, Rav, not, so, it's interestingly, Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak's mother actually created this custom. And actually, Rav Yitzchak, Nachman Bar Yitzchak's mother, of course, it's ridiculous calling him Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak and not knowing his mother's name. It's like literally calling him Rav Nachman, son of Yitzchak, his father, without knowing his mother's name. But okay, fine. That's the, the feminist in me. But right, heard from a Chaldean astrologer that her son would grow up to be a thief. And so she actually created this practice. Um, she did not allow him to uncover her his head because she felt that it would increase his sort of awe of heaven and that it would keep him from um, stealing. And one time his head covering came off and he all of a sudden stole something. And I don't really understand the connection myself of like why a head covering would lead Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak to not become stealing if stealing was in his sort of blood or in his destiny. But regardless, that's just all we have. And that's sort of the end of this, the, the end of a discussion in the Talmud ends with this in, in the end of uh, Tractate Shabbat, Shabbat 156. Uh, and so that's actually the only references we really have to sort of um, wearing a kippah and, and, and covering one's head. It seems like there was some practice within the Gemara of covering one's head before leading prayer or praying, but it's a very, very loose idea. That's really all we have in the Gemara. And then really it gets down to our halakhic authorities, meaning the people who actually then took the discussions of the Gemara and took the practices they saw around them and actually created Jewish codes of law. So this is much later. These are already authorities in, you know, the third, in, in, in uh, basically the thousands to, this is very rough, thousands to the 1600s, what we call in Jewish history Rishonim or the Rishonim period of rabbis. We start seeing more customs of wearing kippot. Um, and wearing, not not really kippot, kippah in Hebrew literally just means a covering, right? So kippah just means a covering. 
Um, and we saw that um, amongst many great Akhlaqic authorities, um, there was this idea of covering one's head, certainly uh, when praying the Amidah, the central prayer um, in the prayer service. Um, specifically, Rambam, Maimonides, and the Shulchan Aruch both say that one is obligated to to wear this um, during uh, wear some sort of head covering uh, during the Amidah. And the Shulchan Aruch and many other authorities, including the Orzuru, Rabbeinu Yerucham, these are all big dudes, uh, and that's the most obviously honor, honorful way of calling them. <laughs> Great rabbis um, uh, said that uh, that you should also wear this for when you say brachot and when you say blessings too. Um, basically, whenever you invoke God's name, right, we should be um, wearing a head covering um, to demonstrate um, this. It's interesting the idea that you would wear it like specifically for the Amidah of all prayers. Right, like the prayer where we're really supposed to be envisioning ourselves standing before God, that like that's when you should have your head covering head covered as opposed to the rest of the prayers where like we're still supposed to be like talking to God, but maybe less in like a direct, I am standing before God in this moment. Um, and it's also interesting just culturally, the idea that covering your head would be a sign of respect that you would want to have when you're standing before God, as opposed to in our society today where um, you would, you know, if you were going to meet the king or, you know, in showing a sign of respect, you you often would take off your hat. You would take off your head covering as a sign of respect. So it's interesting culturally. Right. Well, we actually have a couple halachic authorities who specifically say you should cover your head because that's exactly what the non-Jews don't do. Right, so the non-Jews take off their head to show, head coverings to show respect. We put on our head coverings to show respect, and it's this idea in Judaism of of it says at the end of Leviticus, "Lo tel chu lo tel Right, don't go according to the ways of of uh, don't walk according to the ways of the non-Jews. And for some halakhic authorities, this turned into like just do don't do whatever the non-Jews do, even if it has nothing to do with halacha. Um, and sort of uh, some authorities at least say actually state that specifically for a reason. So this is sort of where we get to with halacha. There there are halakhic authorities who literally say you do not need to ever cover your head um, when you do anything Jewish. There are halakhic authorities, very prominent halakhic authorities. Say that, um, you know, we have records of um, pictures of many great rabbis throughout um, time, paintings, without their head cover. Um, so this was not um, an essential custom um you know, until about maybe 300 years ago, um, that it really became sort of a, a very essential, a very uh, widespread custom amongst Jewish men, at least. I mean, I would say today you wrote that, you know, some authorities say that you should cover your head when you're saying a, a bracha, a blessing. And I feel like that's the generally followed principle today. Like of people who care about head coverings, but they're not wearing a head covering all the time. Like you'll see, I remember the the big one was, um, I think it was during the um, impeachment trials or I think it was the impeachment trials and President Trump's uh, lawyer was an Orthodox Jew and he didn't have a kippah on, but every time he took a sip of water, he would like cover his head with his hand. Right. Um, and everyone was like, what is he doing? And people were saying, well, he's saying a blessing because he's about to drink water. And so he's trying to cover his head. Right. Um, I think that's the general practice today is that people generally try to, if people who care about head covering generally try to at least make sure that they have their head covered when they're saying blessings. Right. And this is a very good practice. Practice, right. This is a practice that is um, in 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 at least in the Shulchan Aruch. Um, it's in in most of our law codes, and and it is a very good practice to do. Um, uh, you know, but I, I guess my criticism, my only criticism, would be that's the exact time in some ways when we don't need a head covering to be reminded of God's presence, because like that's the exact moment we're invoking God's presence in another way. So like. In my mind, I feel like we need it even more in times when we aren't doing Jewish things, because that's the exact time we need to be reminded that God is still present. Well, uh, I feel like it's almost two different reasonings, right? Like, they sound similar, but it's two different reasonings. Like, one of them is the um, mother of Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak's theory of, like, you need your head covering on to remind you to be a good person or about God or to have fear of God or that you're Jewish, right? Like, so you need it on all the time, most especially when you're not actively engaged in Jewish things to stop you from stealing or stop you from doing bad things um, versus the idea of the halachic authorities of you should have it on during the Amidah, like you should have it on when you are in, when you're like more intentionally in God's presence um, as a sign of kavod or a sign of respect or a sign of kind of just intentionality of being with God. Right. I mean, look, there's a heightened sense when we are invoking God's name, right? There should be a heightened sense 
that God's presence, I mean, that, that has to do with one of the commandments of the Ten Commandments, to not invoke God's name in vain, right, of, of really having that respect and that higher level of awareness when we invoke God's name. But yeah, exactly. But there is that other thing of like exactly when we don't. Um, as I love that it comes from a, a woman, right? It comes from Ravi Sock's mother who, who uh, really uh, created this practice. So, you know, eventually though, it became sort of a tradition that all Jews sort of kind of, all Jewish men at least, cover their head um, as, you know, as a sign of Yirat Shemaim, of awe of heaven. And that really became a tradition maybe about 300 years ago. It really started becoming a widespread tradition. Um, and, and, and things that are traditions that are non-halachic traditions, meaning traditions that are not required by the Talmud or even the legal codes, um, but still happen within Judaism. These, these are many things. For example, um, our recitation of Kol Nidre on Yom Kippur night is not a halachic tradition. It comes from nowhere in the Talmud. It doesn't come from anywhere in the legal codes. Actually, they railed against it. Um, but it be, has become sort of a tradition in Jewish communities. So too, wearing a kippah at all times, um, at least there's more grounding within the Talmud for that. But still, what I would call it is a minhag, right? It is a tradition. Now, traditions are important in Judaism because they are um, not just, oh, we could just throw it away because it's just a tradition. Actually, traditions are that are practiced long enough by the Jewish people become halacha and they become Jewish law, but they still hold a lesser important um, position than something that would actually be found within the Talmud as required, or even uh, all the more so at something that's been found actually in the Torah. Right. So it, it, it sort of, it, it, I don't know. How would you explain a difference between a minhag and a, and a, and a halacha here, Rabbi Rachel? No, I mean, I think that you're right. Like, I think like, um, uh, um, like a minha, I think that both of them have to be followed all the time. The difference would be like if it's if there's a really compelling reason not to follow it, that might sway you against doing a minhag in in a circumstance, but probably won't be enough to to compel you not to follow the halacha. That's right. Like there are very few things that would like compel me to eat a bacon cheeseburger, right? Like that, like there's, you know, but you know, if there was a really compelling reason not to have my head covered for, you know, for a moment, I would, I would maybe do it because it's not, it's not law, but it's something that generally, if there's not a really compelling reason not to do it, you should still do it. Yeah. Like I'll give you an example for myself. Like when I watch TV at night and I'm lying on the couch, I take off my kippah because it's really uncomfortable. And I wouldn't do that if it was halacha, but I do do that because it's only a tradition. When I work out, I don't want to get my kippah sweaty and, and wearing a hat is super sweaty and really annoying. So I tend to just take, I don't wear a head covering when I exercise outside because I, you know, because it's a minhag, it's a tradition and not a halakha. Those are just some examples maybe of how I at least draw the difference. So that's, that's kind of idea. And, and what you can see throughout this is there's, there really is no reason that women shouldn't be doing this too. What women also need to have awe of God, right? They also, women also fall into transgression just like men do. And so there, there seems to be no reason throughout the tradition why women shouldn't cover their heads. Um, at least certainly when they say blessings and the Amidah as well. So it seems that like just reading the tradition, women are equally obligated to cover their heads as men are. Right. But, but there's, there's sort of a different, there's a different pr problem when it comes to women. And it, this can be very confusing to onlookers. So I'll leave this to you, Rabbi Rachel. Like, what is the other reason why many women cover their head in Judy that, that, that the Talmud does talk a lot about? Right. So I guess I would differentiate between women who cover their hair and women who cover their head. Um, so when I wear a headband, I'm, my intention is to be covering my head for the same reasons that Rabbi Marcus wears a kippah. Um, many Orthodox women you'll see cover their hair, either with a wig or a hat or a scarf or a thick headband, depending on you know what kind of what kind of tradition they fall into. Um, and those women are covering their hair, not covering their head. And the reason they're covering their hair is, as Rabbi Marcus referenced, it comes from the Talmud and it comes from the, the Sota ritual. Um, the idea that um, in the Sota ritual in the Bible, if a woman was accused of idolatry, um, they would they would un, they would loose unloose her hair and have her hair go wild, and it was like a symbol of her shame. 
And so there has become this um, this Jewish practice for married women to cover their hair, to have their hair either covered by a wig or um, or a hat or a scarf, um, and o- only their husband would will ever see their hair. And it's supposed to be a, a symbol of modesty and a symbol of kind of proper purity and modesty, um, which is why a lot of people ask, like, well, how come they can cover their hair with a beautiful wig? Isn't that, like, how is that modest? But the idea being that, well, their hair, just like in the Sota ritual, is neat and covered, so too it is even with a wig of beautiful hair. Right. I think there's also, at least, and correct me if I'm wrong here, this idea that like women's hair is is super, super attractive and that like men are going to see women's hair and and not be able to contain themselves sexually. So therefore, like women need to cover their hair. So that right, men but that don't leads to the to question sin. of like some women, some Orthodox women, like very Orthodox women, ultra Orthodox women will cover their hair with a beautiful wig, a beautiful sensual wig. And so it seems like, well, then why are they doing that? Right, which is why I always felt it was sort of ridiculous that that, that was but happening. I think by the letter of the law, they're still following the idea behind like the Sota, the Sota ritual. Right. And um, so to be very clear, I yeah. am not, my, my goal is not to cover my hair with all of the kind of problematic connotations that, that comes with that. My goal is very much to cover my head in, in relationship with God. Yeah. And, and I think for me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you might agree with me on this, is that like that the idea of like women covering their shame it doesn't seem to be about God. It seems to be about the perception of other people about something that shouldn't be shameful necessarily. And the other thing I think for me as well is that like, if men have a problem when they see some somebody's uh, hair and it makes them very attracted to them and do a sexual uh, transgression, that, that's the problem with the man. That's not a problem with the what the woman should change. That's a problem that the, that men should change their behavior. Well, I actually remember there was a news article like many years ago about these ultra-Orthodox men in Israel who were covering their glasses with like parchment paper and just having like a little slit so that they wouldn't like accidentally see any women. And I was like, great. Like, you know, if like that, if they feel so, you know, so compelled that if they like glimpse a woman, like that's their own issue. So like, yeah, take care of it yourself. Like cover your eyes, you know, like I felt like that. Okay. You know why? Don't, don't put it on me to try and cover myself up for your benefit. Like take care of it. If you can't handle seeing a woman, don't look. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I think for me, those things are a problem. Those things are problematic to like force women to do something for a sin that's not even theirs is, is seems to me very difficult. And so, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, on the topic of modesty and how, you know, that it, I think you feels very strongly about this and we both do that, you know, modesty in and of itself is a good value. Right. It's a value we hold and a value we, you know, we think is important, but not in the, you know, not in the connotations that it holds in our society today of modesty being like enforcing some sort of dress code on certain people in order to protect other people from, you know, from their shame. Um, But modesty in terms of carrying yourself with humility uh, before God, we certainly both agree with, and we agree that both men and women need to need to carry themselves with modesty. Yeah. Equally, right? Like there's no sense why it's more than one or the other. Um, So, Regardless, though, I do believe that women are equally obligated to cover their head, not their hair, cover their head, right? Um, there, there's no reason that women should not be equally obligated to. Should we, should we do some myth busting here? Myth busting. Let's do myth busting. What myth are we busting here? The, the, the biggest myth that both of us find so ridiculous. There's this idea that some people in some circles of Judaism love to espouse that like women aren't required to do certain Jewish laws because they're like so much closer to God. Like they don't need that. Men need to keep it or remind them of God. Like women always know about uh, God. Like they're just, they're on a higher spiritual like, plane and like, oh, you see this. it all the time. People tell us this all it's the time. It's like such a, uh, for us, it's such an apologetic from like, you know, non egalitarian Judaism of like, oh, we're not, you know, oppressing women. We're, we're, they're just so much better. They don't need the mitzvot. And it's like, there's no, there's no part of Judaism that believes mitzvot are not a good thing. Like (laughs) the idea that like men are like burdened with mitzvot and women don't have to have the burden of mitzvot because they're so close to God. is like antithetical to everything Judaism believes. We believe mitzvot are a privilege that the Jews get to have to bring us closer to God. And just not located in any text anywhere. Like anything, I've never read it I've never read it from anything before a hundred about a hundred years ago. So it's a very, very new thing and it's obviously an apologetic. Right. It's like a reaction to feminism of like an apologetic. Right. So so you know, it's interesting. So I took a I, I read 
I looked online and I found a the Pnine Halacha, which is a actually a safer we both I think respect very well, and or, a very famous modern Orthodox set of not of modern laws. Orthodox, it's Orthodox, Orthodox, but it's contemporary. Yeah, contemporary okay. Orthodox set of Halacha book, Jewish law book, and I, I read the article about should women cover their head. Okay, not their hair, but their head. And they say, of course, no, women shouldn't cover their head. And I'm like, why? What is their reasoning why women shouldn't cover their head? Because it makes no sense to me. And this is what, this is what was in the Panini Halakha. This, these are the women's, um, this is what it said, which I found awesome. One, the first thing that they said was this ridiculous thing that women are somehow closer to God and therefore they don't need the extra thing of covering their head because, uh, you know, that's, uh, they, they're, they're already closer to God. So they don't need that reminder. Right. And what's interesting is this this book always includes sources for everything they say in the earlier halachic authorities and there are no sources it just says it just says this plain out which is like a big claim to make that you don't have any sources for right then he gives another reason he says it's because women already dress sneut or modestly and that gives them the reminder for yerachamayim which i also find to be ridiculous because like again men are obligated just as much in sneut as women are right we're both obligated to dress in a humble fashion right so that 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 seems ridiculous and then finally what i mentioned earlier that like gentile women there was this idea from the tzitz eliezer a famous halakhic authority um in the early um 20th century that non-jewish women uh, uh uh, don't cover their heads uh, when, out of respect, when they when they, or I'm sorry, they cover their heads uh, when they go to church because they wear those like church hats or something like that, and so therefore non-Jewish women should stick it to the man and not wear hats. And it's like, what? That's like, that's just a theology we just don't espouse, right? I think in conservative Judaism, we don't just don't do things because that's what a non-Jew does, right? That seems to be hateful and and not what we do here. I, I couldn't find a good reason why women don't cover their heads. And certainly if the Shulchan Aruch and the Rambam are saying that you should cover your head when staying the Amidah and Brachot, which women are saying and doing, then it seems like ridiculous. But this is, I think, one area where as conservative Jews, we're actually more from than, than uh, you know, some Orthodox Jews are in this regard, or more observant in this way, that we say that women should cover their heads um, for these things. Right, which I found very, very interesting. So I, I think we we definitely do say that that both men and women should equally um, cover their heads. I think that's sort of where it leaves us off. So I just wanted to also do some some history here. You know, did American Jews always cover their heads? Right. Answer is, of course, no. Not the case. Right. You would never see 70 years ago a Jew walking around on the street with a kippah, unfortunately for hard reasons because of anti-Semitism. Right. So much so that the likes of Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, one of the great Gidolei Hador, one of the great uh, halachic, Orthodox halachic authorities of the 20th century, um, said it was permissible for Orthodox men not to wear kippot to work because he felt that they would not get as good job prospects um, for not wearing kippot, which, which just goes to show us that, like, again, it's not an absolute authority for anyone to wear a kippah all the time. It is a tradition that is easily moved to aside for important reasons. It is, I think, and, and also, I think there's a bigger question for me. I don't know. I think maybe we disagree about this, Rabbi Rachel, that like, should American Jews look different? Like, should we act differently than normal Americans do? do? Should we feel the need to blend into American society and culture or actually do the opposite? It's like specifically stick out as Jews and do something different. And I, cause I think wearing a kippa like shows that we are different um, and we're separating ourselves from other Americans by doing that. What do you think about that? I mean, I guess I feel like we shouldn't hide it, right? We shouldn't not look different, but I don't think it's a necessarily a positive value to look different either. Like, I think we are so different, right? Like we're differentiated in our, in so many ways. I mean, we, we think about this a lot with our daughter, we're like that, she already can't go to half the birthday party she's invited to because they're on Saturdays. And then once she's there, she can't eat half the food that's there because it's yeah. not kosher. And like, you know, like she, we already are so different in, in so many ways. I don't think it's necessarily necessary to also make an extra attempt to try and dress differently or look differently in addition to it. Yeah, no, I, I hear that. I definitely hear that. I think I, I struggle with this in particular because, you know, I think as Jews, we are different. We're very different people, but I, I think as an, as Americans, we sort of have somewhat of a a reason um, to 
try to blend in, to try to be part of American culture, right? And, and to try not to rub our differences in everyone else's face, especially if it's not an obligation. And so I, I think for me, I struggle with this. Um, you know, I want to be American. I want to be part of our culture. I want to, um, you know, not try to say, look how different I am than everyone else. But on the other hand, like wearing a kippah helps me out so much connect to God. Um, and I wear tzitzit out too. So that really um, connects, that really outs me and makes me look different. But those things like really help me connect to God. And then there's like a part of me that really does want to publicly identify as Jewish. So for me, like I feel it's like this inner conflict of like wanting to blend in as an American and be a part of American culture. But on the other hand, also wanting to identify as, as, as Jewish. I mean, I definitely think there is a value when you're in certain like moments in public life to, to like outwardly show your Judaism. Like I noticed it when, um, the president of Israel, President Herzog, came and spoke uh, before a joint session of Congress last week, and he wasn't wearing a kippah. And it, it struck me of, I mean, that's, you know, typical Israeli, but it struck me of, like, how powerful would it be to see someone wearing a kippah speaking in front of a joint session of Congress, right? Like, so there are definitely those moments where it feels like, you know, or even like Chuck Schumer, like walks around without a kippah, you know, like right. all of these like people that we know are Jews in our society, Kamala Harris's husband doesn't wear a kippah, you know, like all of these people who I, we know are Jewish, but don't choose to, to identify with that particular symbol. And it feels like it would be very powerful to see. Okay. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, yeah, I, I have the same pining for you. I do too. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, for me, it's like really, I, I accept that there are Jews who are Jews, but they're not religious. They, they don't really observe the religious part of it. So it really, the keeper is really tied up for me with like being a religious Jew. So I understand why they're not wearing it. That's why she mentioned this to me. And I said, well, he's not a religious Jew. So why would he wear a keeper? Right. My um, favorite thing is that when we get to confuse people, like especially in Israel where people are very in the know and like where the divide between religious and secular is so stark. And then you'll walk around with your keeper and CC and I'll be in like shorts and a tank top <laughs> and like, we'll yeah. be holding hands, walking oh, around together. And we really confuse people. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love confusing. Like people. subverting expectations. Yes, we definitely do that in Israel all the time, 100%. I wanted to get to the question, though, of like, okay, before we end today and end our discussion, should we wear a kippah? Should you wear a kippah, right? And like, how do you make that decision? Like, or, or should you wear a head covering? Let's like expand it, right? And so let's talk that. Like, how do you make that decision? Like, how should we make the decision? I say yes. Decision made. <laughs> Decision made. Rabbi Rachel says, wear a head covering. Are you saying wear a head covering all the time? Wear a head covering when you say blessings in the Amidah? Like, what are you saying? What, where, what is your, where's your yes coming from? Well, I think for me, those two, uh, those answers are intermingled. The reason why I wanted to start wearing a headband, something I could wear all the time, is because you're supposed to be saying blessings all the time. I mean, I'm a snacker, so I'm constantly eating throughout the day. <laughs> so and so if you're going to say blessings before you eat, like I'm definitely not someone who has like three meals. I'm like constantly eating and drinking. So I, I didn't want to have to like constantly be trying to figure out how to cover my head. And and so I think, yeah, you should, you should be covering your head. I think it's really powerful. And I think you can do it in as outward or subtle a way as as you want to in each given moment. Like, I don't necessarily think you need to be wearing um, a certain kind of head covering. I mean, we didn't get into like culturally within wearing a kippah. There's so many cultural significances to each type of kippah, especially in Israel of like oh what God, community yeah. you're from based on what kippah you're wearing. The same for women's hair coverings too. But I mean, yeah, I think it's a really powerful and frankly easy thing to do, right? Like it's an easy way to infuse Judaism into your everyday life. Even if you're not at a point where you are like keeping halacha, you know, in every moment of your life and you're still on your journey towards kashrut or Shabbat or Torah study or all of those other things. Like this is something that you just put on in the morning and like go about your day, but it's there. And it's this kind of reminder of like, I am purposely being Jewish today. I'm purposely being Jewish throughout my day and every, in all my daily life and everything I do. I think it's really, really powerful. Not that hard. And something that can really like kind of push you on your journey towards Judaism. Right. So at least for those who are choosing then to wear a kippah, right? What would you say to someone who said, maybe I'm afraid of anti-Semitism or I'm afraid that I'm going to be like characterized as a Jew and I don't want that to be like the first thing that everyone knows about me is that I'm Jewish, right? Like, is that, what would you say to someone like that who has some worries like that? Yeah, I would say that's okay. You know, I mean, I think like that's an, 
really individualized decision and I think changes in every moment. So I think like it's sometimes wear a keeper and sometimes wear a hat and you know, like I don't think it's an all or nothing situation, especially in our society today where um, it's not always polite to be wearing a hat in, in certain circumstances. I mean, I think that's changing a little bit now, but it used to be like, you know, you couldn't wear a hat in a restaurant or things like that. But, you know, I would say like, it's not, it, it's, don't let perfection be the enemy of good, right? Like mm. just, you know, like just do it, you know, just do it. And like in those moments where it's a struggle, like you'll make decisions and you'll feel like, oh, it felt really bad to to take my keep off. And, you know, I don't want to give in to that impulse next time. Or I'm really glad I took my keep off and made me more comfortable in this situation. And like, I'm good. You know, like, I think you'll see it. You'll feel it out for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I think I agree with you. I think I, I think I agree with you. I, I guess my, my caveat would be if it's a keep like, I think that you have to be careful with, with like that you, you should try to be observant when you're wearing it. Like if you're um, there's this idea of married iron or someone seeing uh, something that you're doing. And when they see a Jew doing that, who's wearing a kippah on, they're going to say that is what the Torah says that we should do. Um, so if you are eating in a non-kosher restaurant, even by the way, if you're eating a salad there, right, or something that's kosher there, you should probably take your kippah off. And and I do the same, by the way. Like I, once in a while, I'll go and eat sushi. I eat sushi out at non-kosher restaurants and I get a very simple piece of sushi that, that for me is kosher 100%, but I will take off my kippah at that point because I don't want anyone to assume that, well, you can eat octopus and squid and shrimp. So and I, I would kind of disagree with that a little bit. I mean, that is the very classic understanding of Mari Dain, but I would say if you feel like you are keeping kosher, right, like not like... Like, you know, have a reasonable understanding of that. Like, you know, oh, I feel like this bacon cheeseburger is delicious <laughs> and therefore it's kosher. Like, no. But like, if you feel like you're keeping kosher, right? Like if you are keeping your standard of, you feel like you keep kosher and this is your standard of kosher and like you go out to a restaurant and you get a salad without, you know, any meat in it. And, you know, you are, feel like you're keeping kosher in that moment. I feel like you should be able to keep your keep on. So you're not but concerned about like someone, I'm sorry, did I interrupt? No, I mean, no, I'm not. I think that's, you know, not in our society today. I think that I don't think most people are like making their decisions of if a restaurant is kosher based on, you know, one person wearing a kippah. Um, and I think it just pushes, I think it almost reclaims kippah from a like orthodox symbol, right? Like a kippah doesn't have to be mm. Experiencing Judaism in one particular way, right. which it is an Orthodox mean you're way. Observant, right? No, I think I mean, but I would, but I would agree with you if you are like on your journey towards head coverings and you're wearing a kippah, but you're not on a journey towards kosher, then you are going to be eating your bacon cheeseburger. Right. Then I don't think you should be wearing a kippah in that moment, <laughs> like throw on a hat. Um, but you know, for that for that reason of like you know the same reason of when you were at HUC, like it just feels incongruous to like, you know, be having one symbol without the other. But I think if you feel like you are being observant Jewish self in that moment and I'm keeping kosher in the way that I understand kosher, like I do think you should be able to keep your keep on. Beautiful. I like that. Okay. I think you, I think I can, I think I can get on that bandwagon that you just, you kind of set up for us. And I would also say like, look, if you're wearing a Jewish symbol as well, just make sure, um, and I and I. This is the story about the penny before to try to stay away. Like obviously, that was a very unique circumstance of just trying not to create more anti-Semitism. But also in the case of like, just what you say and what you do, or like, like I I'm very cognizant. Sometimes I'll get in an argument with uh, an employee, or or I have to like take a more harsher tone when I have when when I feel like I've been wronged. A lot of times I'll take my keep off at that point or I'll take off all visible signs of me being Jewish because God forbid I wouldn't want anyone to say, wow, Jews are really angry people because they make an assumption on what I'm doing. Right? So, you know, hopefully... Maybe I'm, it pushes you the other way to right, not be angry. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which hopefully, hopefully it pushes me not to be angry and like, yes, and it's definitely done that before, by the way, of like, I'm not going to act this way because I have a keep on. It actually helps me be a better person. But like... Just remember that everybody who sees you when you're wearing Jewish, not I won't say everybody, but a lot of people will, will make their assumptions of who a Jew is based on your behavior when you're wearing a public Jewish symbol. So just be careful, right? Be careful. That's called Kiddush Hashem or the sanctification of God's name in Judaism. So, uh, you know, I think that's a that's a really important concept. Concluding statements, right? I want to say, I want to, I, I think for me, like here are some disclaimers that I think are important to say before we end today. Number one, Way more important than a kippah is a talis is talit and tefillin, right? 
the Tord does command you to wear uh, uh, a talus, and it commands you to put on tefillin, right? Those are actual Jewish garb, and like those things are more important than keep it any day, okay? Right? So that, if you're really saying, okay, I want to take on some kind of Jewish garb, let's think about tefillin and talit first, right? Number one, right? Number two, I really want to say that this is very important to Rabbi Rachel. There is a custom that I think, did you grow up with this? I grew up with it as well. I definitely grew up with it. Like as you walked into a synagogue, some, some guy would like put a old like ratty keep on your head, right? Head covering should not be something that is forced upon you upon walking into a synagogue. It should not be forced upon anyone. Okay. Especially since we demonstrated that it's not actually absolutely required by halacha, right? It is a minhag or a tradition, right? You should not, no one should be putting a head covering or forcing somebody else to be wearing a head covering. That is a tradition that I would like to see sort of moved out. Obviously, we're very delicate with people's expectations, but in our synagogue, at least, we do not want to create a place where we're putting head coverings on people's heads. Right. And I would say, I mean, it's great that people like choose to wear a kippah when they're in synagogue. I think one more step towards being more Jewish in your life is great. But the fear, I think also, in addition to just kind of violating people's personal space, is also the fear that like, oh, I'm Jewish at synagogue. Well, like, what are you the rest of the time? Right? Like, if you're going to wear a kippah at synagogue, it's great. But like, we encourage you, like, whatever you're doing now, like, try and take it one step further. So if you like wear a kippah at synagogue, try and wear a kippah maybe like all of Shabbat, you know, like trying to wear a kippah like the rest of the day as well. Or if you're one of those people who put on a kippah just when you go up to the bima, like, Try it out. Like, try wearing a keeper for all of services. And, you know, like, I would say, like, always, there's always opportunity to push it one step further. I would also like to cordially invite everyone of all genders to join me in Headband Nation. Headband Nation. Hashtag. Yes, the headband. I love it. I really, I really enjoy the headband because I really feel like it's just been, it, it's, it's been challenging it's challenging to get around the idea that a kippa is a men's, a men's piece of clothing. And, and a lot of women don't want to wear something that's typified as a men's piece of clothing. Um, and it's just nice that there's something else, that there's something that it feels more comfortable to a lot of people. And that's wonderful that, that this opens this custom to people. I'm, I'm very happy about that. I mean, it's nice. We've started offering both kippot and headbands to our religious school students to, to put on. And people... Uh, students of all genders pick both which is really nice like there are students who identify as boys who pick keep for who pick headbands and students who identify as girls who pick keypoed and, and everything in between it's really nice and that's wonderful yeah. it's all it's all wonderful because it's really about covering one's head right it's really about about being aware of god and and being aware of god's presence it's not about judging somebody else or doing something to respect me like that nowhere in the literature is that about head coverings it's always about about our relationship with god which is which is so important Last, any other thoughts? Thanks, everyone. Good. Thank you. This was great. I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm looking forward to more conversations. Always, thank you so much for listening. I want to thank always, like usual, usual Jesse Ulrich from Rent Nine Productions, our wonderful producer and editor. We really, really appreciate him and his his amazing work. And of course, our amazing. Uh, Colleen Deeker and Jeffrey Baldinger, their amazing theme song that they have uh, created for us. Thank you so much for that. Always remember, uh, remember to review, rate, subscribe, comment on our podcast. Helps other listeners find us. Uh, remember to share us if you like what we're saying, if you uh, like what we're doing, like what we're putting out there, just feel free to share it with a friend because that just kind of uh, brings Judaism and brings uh, uh, hopefully a positive message about Judaism out into the world, which is so, so important. Thank you, everybody. Celebrate the words of Torah with Marcus and Rachel, Rabbi's Ru-